from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I'm late. I'm late. For a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com what does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and welcome to Next Question. Today on a special bonus episode, we begin to consider what life after coronavirus might look like. The pandemic will no doubt have an enormous impact on the way we work, learn, travel, or even just interact with each other. But before we can even get to that, we have to answer my next question. When and how can we return to normal? And what will normal even look like? This is going to be a long struggle. Until we have a vaccine, the virus is likely to be with us and is likely to change the way we have to go about our lives, even when we begin to come back out again. Dr. Tom Frieden is the former director of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, a.k.a. the CDC. And before that, was New York City's public health commissioner. He's now the president and CEO of Resolve to Save Lives. He's called this pandemic World War C with the humans against the coronavirus. And while it's daunting to think we're still at the start of this war, Dr. Frieden is thinking about the future we all long for. And he's just released a four-point plan that will help the country get up and running as soon and safely as possible. You have stressed that reopening is not about the date, it's about the data. With that in mind, explain for us what you think the data needs to reveal in order to ensure a safer return to life as we once knew it, or somewhat <laughs> as we once knew it. To get out to the new normal, we need to look at three things. The first is how widely the virus is spreading and whether it's decreasing. You don't want to go out when it's about to explode again. And you don't want to go out when there's so many cases that they might overwhelm our health or public health systems. The second is how prepared our healthcare systems are so we can prevent healthcare workers from becoming infected and also provide good care to people with coronavirus and continuing, continuing to provide care to people who need chronic care, whether that's cancer screening or diabetes care 
what we're seeing is people foregoing very important services. So that has to be ready. And our public health system has to be ready to do what I, what I call box it in. Testing, isolation, contact tracing, and quarantine. Four corners of a box. If we get that right, we can limit the spread of coronavirus from cases and clusters so it doesn't explode again and force us to come back in. You're such a a well-respected public health official. I do think that a lot of people listening may think the numbers, the estimates uh, were, were too high, that the number of cases didn't match what people and scientists were predicting. Why can you help people understand why that was the case? And is it because of the measures that were taken? We're learning more about coronavirus literally every day, but it would be a big and potentially fatal mistake not to take this virus very seriously. Just look at what has happened in New York City, where there have been 17,000 confirmed or probable cases and 21,000 excess deaths in less than six weeks. That compares with 30,000 deaths in New York City in two years of the 1918-19 influenza pandemic. This is the worst health threat of our lifetime. And it is uh, very, very dangerous, particularly for people over the age of 60 and for anyone with underlying health conditions, but also um, just a variety of people in their 30s and 40s can get very, very ill. So this is an enormously uh, deadly pandemic. And unfortunately, bad as it has been, this is just the beginning. The virus will be here until we have a vaccine. What about until there's a better treatment? A treatment would make a really big difference. If we had good treatment for this vaccine, including good preventive treatment, and that could come well before a vaccine, that would make a a big difference. That could decrease death rates, decrease overcrowding intensive care units, uh, help people be safer. So yes, a treatment would be terrific, but we don't have one yet. And, and do you see, I know there's been a lot of global cooperation among scientists and researchers. Do you see anything that gives you optimism about a potential treatment that may pre come before a vaccine? So far, nothing is working out. And a few of the things that I've looked at have not proven to be effective. I am encouraged that there's really good global collaboration, that the World Health Organization is helping to link together scientists from all over the world. Interestingly, paywalls have come down on scientific publications and preprints have gone up. These are two big changes in how medical science works. So we're learning more really fast. And I'm encouraged that if we do identify a good treatment, we'll find out about that quickly and I hope then be able to apply it widely. But we don't have it now. And what we need to do now is to stay home Uh, so that the virus doesn't explode again. That's our most blunt weapon against it. And box it in. That's our most precise weapon against it. That's how we can prevent an outbreak from becoming an epidemic. I want to talk more about how to restart the economy and some of the things that you have in mind. But first, I'm curious, Dr. Frieden, have you been able to, or have scientists been able to get a better understanding of some of the mysteries surrounding COVID-19, the fact that some people are affected so intensely and are incapacitated and often killed by this virus and others can be completely asymptomatic. 
it's got to be more than just underlying conditions or the or someone's age. What are some of the things that we're learning about how this virus operates? We're learning more every day, but there's still a lot we don't know. We do know that age is the strongest predictor of how bad this infection will be. And kids under the age of 20 rarely get seriously ill from it. On the other hand, people over 60 often do, and it's often fatal for them. We don't know which underlying health conditions are riskiest, diabetes, kidney disease, lung disease, heart disease seem the most concerning, but that's something we'll learn more about. We don't know whether some people have more severe disease because they were exposed to a bigger amount of virus, what's called the inoculum. And one thing that I'm very intrigued by, although there's no proof of this, is that there may be very subtle genetic differences in different strains of this virus that may be associated with higher or lower severity of illness. That's just a theory at this point. There's no evidence to support it, but it's something that would be a clue as to how we might make a vaccine that might immunize people without making them sick. Can you help me understand that better when you say a different, a more powerful strain? Explain what you mean by by that for people who aren't scientists or doctors listening to this. Well, the first thing to say is we have no idea. We don't know why some people get sicker than others. It could be they're exposed to a higher dose or inoculum of the virus. But we know that if they have underlying conditions, that could make it worse. And there is a possibility that there are certain types of this virus. It's all SARS-CoV-2. It's all one particular species of coronavirus. But there are already a lot of genetic differences within that species. And one theory that some of us are beginning to wonder about now with no evidence, just something that should be investigated, is whether some of the strains that are circulating are less deadly than others and might account for the fact that you're seeing a very high proportion of people with no symptoms at all in some outbreaks and a very low proportion with no symptoms at all in others. The New York Times, in fact, had a front page piece about a seemingly healthy guy who was on a ventilator, I believe, for 32 days and came out the other side pretty miraculously. But he seemed to be very atypical for someone who would be made so seriously ill from this virus. No one should be overconfident about this virus. 30, 40-year-old doctors, nurses, and others with no underlying conditions have become uh, desperately ill and some have died from it. Unfortunately, uh, no one is immune from this virus. Maybe people who have recovered from it, maybe. But barring that, there is no natural immunity. And that's why we're so concerned. Not only have there been more than 17,000 COVID deaths in New York City so far, it could get two or three times worse. And other parts of the U.S., other parts of the world haven't gone through that yet. So they're at risk of explosive outbreaks. When we come back, Dr. Tom Frieden on our COVID testing fiasco. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. We're back with Dr. Tom Frieden, former director of the CDC. Testing is such an important factor, Dr. Frieden, but gosh, that seems to have been a massive shit show, excuse my French, in terms of getting the testing up and running. What the heck happened here? We still have far too few tests compared to what we need. Uh, The CDC stumbled early on. It was a problem with their test kit. Their test kit has worked fine for two months, and we still have a major shortage. That's because it's really a three-legged stool. You need the CDC providing tests to public health laboratories, hospitals developing their own tests, and the commercial laboratories figuring out how to provide very large volumes of tests. And uh, this has been increasing, but too slowly. And that's why we've just released guidance on who should be tested. Because right now, we don't have enough tests for everyone. And therefore, we really need to scale up testing for those who need it most, including people whose uh, lives may be saved by being tested, or people who, when we know they're infected, we can isolate them and prevent a large and deadly outbreak of the disease. So when you say, are you talking about elderly people and those with underlying conditions? I mean, who is in this subset of people who should be tested right now? Most important are people with symptoms who are being hospitalized or are over age 60 or who have underlying health conditions. Next most important is anyone in a congregate facility who has symptoms. That's a nursing home uh, or a homeless shelter or a prison or a jail. Next is healthcare workers who have symptoms so we can make health facilities safer and anyone who's a contact of a case who is symptomatic, plus all people hospitalized 
where COVID is spreading to prevent hospital outbreaks of COVID. Now, it's really important that these individuals get tested because that can greatly reduce the spread of the infection. And when there is an outbreak in a congregate facility, then it's important uh, then that all there get tested, whether or not they have symptoms. But just to test those groups is over a million tests a day, and we're doing at most a quarter of that now. I know about 150,000 tests a day, so less than a quarter of that, certainly. And when are we going to be able to have enough tests available? What about that much Ballyhooed Abbott Laboratories fast test that you could get the results in, you know, five to 18 minutes? What happened with that? There are tests that are um, point of care and they're available right where the patient is, like the Abbott test, but they're low volume. They, they take less than 15 minutes, but you only do one at a time. So you can only do four patients per hour on one instrument. In contrast, some of the large tests may take a day to come back, but you can do thousands an hour. When will we have the tests that we need? What you say, a million a day? We'll really have to rely on the federal government for getting this right. They have to coordinate it. They have to make sure the entire supply chain is there from swabs to transport media to reagents to test kits to machines for testing to providing the test results. Remember, testing is just the first step. Testing is really important, but it's not the answer. It's a part of the answer. It's about testing, isolating people who are positive, tracing contacts, and quarantining those contacts. If you do those four things, you can keep the virus in the box so we can go out more. Let's talk about contact tracing. Tell us about that. What do you mean by contact tracing? Because I understand you call it an old-fashioned shoe leather effort of sending human beings out to ask people who they've been in contact with. But that could require an army of something like 300,000 people. So how do you organize an effort like that? Contact tracing is hard work, but it works. It's traditional public health work. In fact, Every day, all year round, health departments all over this country and all over the world are doing it for tuberculosis, for measles, for sexually transmitted diseases, HIV, and other conditions. But we have to do it on a much wider scale now. It's specialized work. Contact tracers need to be able to develop a human bond with patients. They need to be able to answer their questions, medical, social, emotional. They need to be able to link them to services, whether it's medical services if they're sick or social services if they have needs or community supports. That contact tracing process supports patients and those they may have exposed so that the virus can stop with them, so that they can isolate themselves in the case of patients or quarantine themselves in the case of contacts. And if they do develop the illness, they don't spread it to others. That does take time. It takes effort. If we look around the world, Singapore, with a population of 5.6 million people, has more than 1,000 people doing contact tracing. That gives you a sense of the scale of the effort that will be needed. Tens or maybe hundreds of thousands of people will be needed. And that sounds impossible, but it's essential if we're to come out as soon and safely as possible and not get sent running back home again because we see an explosion of cases. 
Well, I was going to ask you about that. When you see the governor of Georgia starting to open up things like bowling alleys and barbershops and nail salons, what what do you think? I think, first off, if you look at the stay-at-home orders around the country and the data that's come out since from groups like Facebook and Google that have analyzed what population movements were, people stayed home before they were told to stay home. They heard what was happening. I think you'll see some, some people certainly coming right out and other people waiting. We do have to get ready for the COVID world, for the new normal, where we're going to use hand sanitizers before we go into a building. We're going to stay six feet away from people to the greatest extent possible, where we're going to have masks on to protect others as well as ourselves whenever COVID is spreading in an environment. Certain things are certainly beyond reasonable. You would not want to open movie theaters at this time. That does not make sense while we've still got a lot of cases. Uh, you really try to avoid gatherings of 10 people or more. You try to keep people together in one group so that there is, so that if there is spread of COVID, it stops there and doesn't explode in society. Remember, if the virus spreads widely, it's not just the people who volunteered or uh, uh, of their own accord were in public that are affected. It's the health workers who they could infect and could die. It's the grandmothers and grandfathers and brothers and sisters and children of those they infect who could get very sick. So we have to be careful and do this in phases, understanding that when we loosen the faucet and come out again, it may be three to six weeks before we see a surge in cases, because it takes about a week from exposure to infection, about another week to get very severely ill. So it'll be weeks before we see the impact of these. And we don't know whether weather will be on our side or not, and whether warmer weather will be helpful. We hope it will be. But the plain truth is, COVID is here to stay unless something surprising happens or we get a vaccine. And that means we have to get used to a new normal where we're going to have to be more careful for our own sake and especially for the sake of those most vulnerable in our communities. Once you get the virus, does that make you immune? That's still a big question mark too, isn't it, Tom? We don't know. There's uh, more information coming out every day. And it may be a few weeks or a few months before we know. First off, there are antibody tests. A lot of questions about those. A lot of the tests that are on the market don't work well. So the results are not reliable. But even if you have a good antibody test, knowing what it means is not clear. Does it mean you're immune? Even if it does, how long will that immunity last? There's so much we don't yet know about this virus. But the more we learn, the more we can do to protect people. What I keep thinking about, which I know I shouldn't because this is seeing the glass is a half empty, is even if there's a vaccine for COVID-19, how concerned are you that an, another virus, even after a vaccine is developed, may be around the corner, Dr. Frieden? Katie, it is absolutely inevitable that there will be another health threat. Whether it will be as bad as COVID-19 or worse, we don't know. What's not inevitable is that we will be so woefully underprepared next time. And we can avoid being underprepared by investing in public health in this country and around the world. That means establishing systems to find, stop, and prevent health threats where they emerge so they don't spread around the world. 
That means ending the practice of selling exotic animals for food in markets. That means ending the practice of bushmeat consumption in Africa, where viruses can emerge. That means strengthening our early warning system so we know where diseases are spreading and can rapidly investigate them and stop them if at all possible. All of this is within reach. And with the trillions of dollars that we're losing because of COVID, it's clear that it would be the height of irresponsibility not to invest in our public health protection system in this country and around the world. When we come back, how to emerge into the new COVID world. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. I'm late, I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Let's return to my interview with Dr. Tom Frieden. It seems to me that we're going to need a 9-11 commission type evaluation about not only this country's response, but the global response. Knowing that you don't want to get too far into politics, you're the former director of the CDC. So how would you assess the government's handling of this crisis, both the administration and other agencies, including the CDC? Let's start with CDC. CDC clearly had a problem with the laboratory tests and with responding to that problem. I would like to see an independent investigation of that. I have no confidence in investigations that are done by others who might benefit from saying there was one problem or another. There's an excellent laboratory science unit at CDC. I would want to see them do an internal report 
and then have an external, highly expert group through the National Academy of Sciences look at that and provide transparently what went wrong and how to prevent that from going wrong in the future. That doesn't change the fact that the CDC is a fantastic institution with 20,000 public health professionals who devote their lives to protecting people from health threats and who are our elite troops in this war against coronavirus. They are working day and night. They are doing an enormous amount to strengthen states and cities around uh, the the country. Their website, cdc.gov, remains the best place to go for information, advice, and guidance on how to protect ourselves, our workplaces, and our communities. In terms of the U.S. response more generally, can I can I interrupt for two seconds? So, sure. well, I agree with you. I've done work with the CDC. I have so much respect for the people there. But something did go terribly wrong in this instance. What do you think happened? I don't know. I, I wasn't there. The CDC laboratory itself was able to do testing throughout this process and never got overwhelmed. The problem came in sending out tests that didn't work well. And then the bigger problem was not responding to that problem rapidly. I don't know why that happened, but that's one of the things that should be looked at. Tom, the current the current CDC director, Robert Redfield, he's defended the agency and said, quote, it was really the responsibility of the private sector and the clinical medicine apparatus to develop widespread testing. That's correct. He's absolutely right. It's a three-legged stool. You've got CDC providing tests for the public health departments. You've got hospitals developing their own tests. And you've got the commercial sector developing the tests for large numbers of patients. And you can know for certain that he's correct because the CDC test has worked fine for two months. And we still have a major shortage of tests because those other two legs got started very late. CDC said on January 26th, we have to behave as if this is a pandemic. But it wasn't until more than a month later, February 29th, that the Food and Drug Administration loosened regulations to allow the private sector to begin developing their own tests. And it wasn't until early March. And whose fault was that? I, I think you've got to look at HHS and FDA for that. And what about uh, the administration and the task force that was well in place before that? I find the organization of this response by the administration very confusing. I don't know what the role of FEMA versus the task force versus the vice president versus the White House coronavirus coordinator versus the chairman of the task force is. In our work at Resolve to Save Lives, we advise countries all around the world how to respond to an epidemic. And one of the main ways of doing that is to organize so that there is a single incident manager and a single trusted nonpartisan spokesperson, and that those people report to the head of state, and that the policy decisions are made by the head of state, but the operational response has a clear line of accountability and a clear nonpartisan communication. I wish we would see that in this country. Well, it's been anything but that. Um, as many people have complained about the nature of these briefings, the role of the CDC has been minimized, if not completely uh, you know, erased from the whole process. Dr. Fauci and Deborah Burks don't seem to have much of a voice. Do you think it's been dangerous that the president of the United States, who is certainly not a scientist, is the one that is talking and communicating with the American people and even making 
crazy suggestions, even in sarcasm, uh, to about injecting disinfectants? I'll feel safer when we're hearing from the CDC regularly. People uh, like not just uh, Dr. Redfield, but also Dr. Shuket, who was the prior director of the National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Disease, Dr. Messonnier, other experts in viral the public health response to viral lung diseases. These are our top experts, not just in the country, but in the world, and we're not hearing from them. Don't you think that's crazy? I'll feel safer when we're hearing from them. You're being very diplomatic here, Tom. So let's just, before you go, let's talk about the future. You say COVID-19 is here to stay. So when you think about the future, Do you think, do you agree that social distancing will continue for months to come? What about this idea of immunity passports that will allow those who've been infected returning to the workforce? Um, You know, tell me what you envision for the future if a vaccine is not created anytime soon and there's no treatment anytime soon. We'll be going back to a new normal. That normal will include hand sanitizers at the entrance of every building, mask wearing in public, physical distancing wherever possible. We don't yet have the science to know if immunity passports will work. There are some countries that have started that. We'll need to learn more. But it's inevitable, I'm afraid, that until there's a vaccine or an effective treatment, you're going to see travel bans. You're going to see quarantine of travelers. We're even seeing countries like Canada and Australia block people from going from one state or province to another. If one state has controlled it and another state hasn't, it's almost inevitable they're going to try to keep people out who are going to bring this in and create another explosion of cases. Have you seen anything positive on the horizon, Tom, in terms of a vaccine or something that at least is showing promise? The most promising thing I've seen, Katie, is real global collaboration, that people are working together, that we understand that it's us against them here and them as a microbe, us as all humans. And the more we can learn from each other, the more we can partner with each other, the more of us are going to get through this safe and healthy. Do you see somebody who could be, or an an organization that could be the head of a global response if this happens again, so that people all over the world have really the most up-to-date scientific information, that the messages aren't contradicting each other, that people aren't kind of competing for resources so that everyone can be operating from on the same page. The World Health Organization is essential. We helped create it. We're a member of it. It has strengths and weaknesses. It's done relatively well in this outbreak. But clearly, there are things that need done better. And how that should be done is something for discussion in the coming months. We know that we need a better way to track where outbreaks are emerging and a better way to help countries drive down the risk of outbreaks like this and stop them as soon as possible. And what did you think of the president saying he's going to defund the World Health Organization, since the U.S. is the bigger funder at something like $400 million annually. This is the time to increase, not to decrease our funding for public health. Dr. Tom Frieden, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it.
Thank you. And thank you for your interest, knowledge, and commitment to health and public health. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Okay. Right back at you. Thanks, Tom. Thanks so much. That was fun. Dr. Tom Frieden, a public health expert, former head of the CDC, and now president and CEO of Resolve to Save Lives. And that does it for this bonus episode of Next Question. For the most up-to-date information on the coronavirus, as Tom Frieden said, go to the CDC and World Health Organization websites. And for a look at the people behind the pandemic, from the victims to the heroes and the moments of good news in between, subscribe to my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, by going to katiecouric.com. Our regular episodes of Next Question with me, Katie Couric, are released weekly every Thursday. You can find those and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. So until next time and my next question, I'm Katie Couric. Thanks so much for listening. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartRadio and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are Katie Couric, Courtney Litz, and Tyler Klang. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen. Our show producer is Beth Ann Macaluso. The associate producers are Emily Pinto and Derek Clements. Editing by Derek Clements, Dylan Fagan, and Lowell Berlanti. Mixing by Dylan Fagan. Our researcher is Gabriel Luzer. For more information on today's episode, go to katiecouric.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at katiecouric. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from undercover tourists. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from undercover tourists and authorized seller and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with undercover tourists now and save. UndercoverTourist.com If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.